0: Welcome to the All Creatures Podcast. This is Chris, and I'm so excited to welcome Dr. Julian Fennessy. Hey, Julian, how are you doing?
1: G'day, Chris. How's it going? It's great to be online with you.
0: Oh, it's awesome. Thank you. And just, I've been chasing Julian down for a few months. He is the director of the Giraffe Conservation Foundation. And where are you located right now, Julian?
1: Uh, our base here is in Namibia, in Vintok, the capital. So in Southern Africa.
0: Yeah, so that's why it's been hard to get to chase you down. You're so busy. Yeah,
1: I've mixed that with a little bit of COVID nineteen issues, and uh, we're all good to go now.
0: <laughs> no kidding, no kidding. So, yeah, real quick first, I always like to ask you know, can you tell our listeners your background? You know, where you grew up, and then your education. You know, that led you to Namibia. So obviously, I have a uh, a bit of a different accent.
1: So I'm an Aussie, an Australian uh, by trade. I uh, grew up there, born and bred, and was lucky as a 16-year-old kid to spend a year in South Africa as a Rotary Exchange student, and that sort of changed what I wanted to do. I always wanted to be a stockbroker or you know something to make a, a bunch of money, but uh, realised that there was a lot more to do in life, had a whole bunch of things happening. Unfortunately, my old man died at the time, and realised there's, there's more to life. So when I went back to Oz, I uh, did a degree in uh, natural resource management. And I was lucky enough to to get a job uh, for the Australian Development Agency in Namibia. Um, And that was, uh, let's say, a couple of years ago. Um, I was 23 years old and uh, moved out, uh, working in environmental education for the country, um, training people. It was fantastic, a good inroad. And, uh, you know, eventually I ended up doing a couple other jobs in the country here in Namibia um, and started a PhD through the University of Sydney in Australia on the ecology of the desert-dwelling giraffe in northwest Namibia. So basically trying to figure out what was going on with giraffe. You know, how many were there in the desert? Uh, Were they genetically related or different to other giraffe? Uh, Where they moved? We did the first ever GPS satellite tagging of giraffe. So many cool things. And uh, so, yeah, but it was really important after working for a few years to get that PhD uh, under the belt to uh you know as a stepping stone to continue the work we do today.
0: Do you have any advice because we have a lot of students that ask us, you know, how do you get involved in conservation? So do you have any advice for them on how they can maybe follow in your footsteps to uh to get working in conservation?
1: Yeah, so as I said before I wanted to be a stockbroker, so go there, you'll make a hell of a lot more money. Um no I think uh, the re- the reality is is that uh it's not easy there's no doubt and there's more and more um out there but you really have to follow your own passion um you know volunteering and people will say it uh over and over it's a really important thing while you're young and undertaking your degree or before get out there figure out what's going on whether it's at a zoo or a captive facility close to where you are, whether there's working with the National Wildlife Authorities or or similar, in whatever country you are. And it's it's a lot about who you know as much as what you know. So if you've got a really good personality, you're really keen to get involved, unfortunately, it doesn't always pay, but uh, get out there, do stuff. And then uh, the only person who ever makes this happen is you so that's really important I found in life is that you know always look for a mentor or something like that but unfortunately they're not a dime a dozen so you you get out there and if you want to achieve something you have to strive for it yourself and uh, put yourself in the right place at the right time and it may not seem that way but the sum of the parts everything you do will lead up to um, show people that you're really keen and interested and hopefully there's uh, you know things will fall in place. Uh,
0: That's amazing advice and uh, i yeah, absolutely agree with you on that. So how did you get involved with giraffes? So, you know, of all the species on earth, and I know you were, you said you were doing work in Namibia. How did that all of a sudden translate into doing giraffes for your PhD? Yeah, so giraffe definitely were not my uh,
1: priority critter when I first wanted to, to you know, go into wildlife conservation. Uh, in Australia, there's all these tiny little beasts that run around in the middle of the night. And I realised there was not an interest to get up in the middle of the night. I don't like the cold. It's freezing cold here in Namibia at the moment. It's blue sky, but it's below zero. But um, yeah, no, I realised when we were in Namibia, I worked on a water catchment uh, study. And we were looking at uh, the impact of water on people, livestock and wildlife. And it was an amazing area, northwest Namibia, and included Atosha National Park. And Atosha is one of the most well-known national parks in Africa and uh, this catchment ran all the way through communal land and then through the Skeleton Coast National Park to the ocean. And so I was lucky enough to work on this project for many years and during that time realised, well, actually, I, want, I started a master's because I thought I better improve my knowledge uh, and, and, and my, uh, obviously, uh, letters at the end behind my name, uh, looking at elephant and giraffe and the interactions in the desert because it was just such a a remoter, you know, unknown entity. And the more and more I looked at it, I realized that, well, you know, there's a lot of people who do elephant work and there's a lot of egos around elephant conservation, but so little about giraffe. Um, And so I thought, well, you know, maybe I'm not the cleverest of scientists, but, you know, the more and more I can understand about giraffe and find out more and share it, um, you know, we can sort of uh, learn a bit more uh, to be able to tell the world and We're quite fortunate now that uh, that's how I got into giraffe and ever since have done a lot of things giraffe related in my spare time. And only 10 years ago, we started the Giraffe Conservation Foundation, but uh, there was never a paid job in giraffe at all. um, And no one, I believe, prior to the Giraffe Conservation Foundation ever worked full time on giraffe. So it really is about, you know, making your passion your life. Um, and you know, in between you've got to pay the bills, but that's, you know, the reality.
0: (laughs) Yes. Yes. And working in animals, it just, you, it's obvious for anybody that's out there that works in animals or works for zoo understands you're not going to get rich doing this, but uh, you're going to have a hell of a lot of,
1: yeah, you're going to have a hell of a lot of fun. There's going to be ups and downs like in any society or, you know, or job or whatever, but you know, it's what you make of it. And, uh, and I think for us, for giraffe. Uh, we've been really fortunate and, you know, we've been able to uh, grow things and I'm, I'm stoked that uh, we fell across this uh, small critter.
0: Oh, yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, it's pretty tiny, huh? Yeah.
1: <laughs> <It's,
0: laughs> you no, know, just a really quick, a quick shout out to Lauren uh, from Global Conservation Force and then also Mike Bona, LA Zoo, who put me in touch with you and they told me I had to talk to you. So, again, just very giddy about I
1: just, this. Uh, I, I I could probably throw in there quickly if you get it in there. Um, you know, it's, it's amazing you shout out to Mike because, you know, Mike will be the first to shout out about Mike. So that's brilliant that you got that in there.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I love him. He's the best. It's cool. He's cool. Yeah, him and I have become really good friends. So you said you started Giraffe Conservation Foundation 10 years ago. Were you part of founding that? Because I know you're the director.
1: Yeah, so 10 years ago, you know, I'd been involved, obviously, in draft conservation efforts for a few years and realised need to do more. So, yeah, so I was looking around and then uh, found some with my wife and some others uh, who would uh, work with us to, to start an NGO. And at that stage, I'd worked a lot for NGOs, done consultancy work, worked for governments um, but you know, starting something is a little bit of a different thing. So yeah, so we're lucky now 10 years on, um, yeah, we're the founders and, and uh, directors. Um, and you know, it's built, uh, nicely and, uh, since then, which is awesome.
0: Yeah, no, that's great. That's great. I, I just want to throw this in here. Would you agree that giraffes, is kind of suffering a silent extinction? Not a lot of people know about it.
1: Definitely. The the term silent extinction was something that we coined a few years ago mm-hmm. um, as we realised that giraffe numbers were, uh, you know, essentially going missing before our eyes in some populations. And, and this was sort of one of the basis of starting Giraffe Conservation Foundation. Despite us living and working in Southern Africa for many years, um, you know, the problem is not here. The problem is essentially across Central, East and, and West Africa and where some of those numbers of, declined, you know, significantly over the last 30 years, let alone the last 100 or more years. So, yeah, we, what we do see is that this silent extinction is something that's, you know, sort of not known to everyone out there. You know, we hear a lot about elephant and they are in threat, there's no doubt. But, you know, if you think about giraffe, there's four elephant for every giraffe there are in Africa. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we've got probably 111,000 giraffe remaining in all of Africa, and that's all different types, and I'm sure we'll chat about that just now, but, you know, there's more than 400,000 African elephants. So, why is there not the, the media and attention around giraffes there is about elephant or rhino, but, uh, you know, it's, it's with guys like you and others that we're, we're happy now we're starting to share the, the good news or not, as the case may be, yeah. and there is positive yeah. news, and... Uh, and that's what we want to get involved with and can keep getting involved with. But, you know, conservation is uh, is also about a game of getting your voice heard and um, mm-hmm. getting people involved.
0: Yeah, you would think, especially giraffes are so beloved. I mean, at zoos, I'm sure they're in, in Africa. People just want to see them. I mean, they just absolutely want to see them.
1: They're definitely, the. I was going to say they're they're definitely the most iconic animal uh, or African animal for sure. You know, if you've got elephant, you've got Asian elephant as well. You've got rhino, you've got rhinos in Sumatra, India. But if you want something quintessential Africa, it's definitely a giraffe. And it's one of the most, you know, most important animals and priority animals people want to see on safari. It's, It's a tick. It's a must see.
0: Oh yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I I guess we'll we'll continue on this and then we'll jump back to some of the other questions I had for you. But, you know, talking about this silent extinction, what are some of the real pressures that they're facing out there?
1: Yeah, I mean, there's a host of threats uh, facing giraffe as there is with a lot of wildlife, not just in Africa, but across the globe. And the bottom line is there's too many people, you know, we've got to stop breeding um because the impact that people and the resources that we required are obviously putting biggest pressures on habitat loss habitat fragmentation um poaching or illegal hunting um, and then obviously disease which is linked to livestock so all of these things combined that you know giraffe and other wildlife uh, obviously don't have the same amount of habitat they can't move between areas anymore. They're restricted because there's developments, whether it's roads or mines or, you know, other sort of forms of development, whether, you know, that are coming along. So all of these factors are really having a big impact on giraffe, as one would expect. And, you know, if you just plonk them in a little area, they'll do quite well. But if they can't move outside of that, then it leads to other genetic, you know, problems as well. Um, so, Yeah, definitely we are facing some some big issues with giraffe and as the human population growth in Africa is the fastest and it's the youngest population, um, it's only going to expand and and we're lucky at the moment there's still large populations in communal areas in some countries in Africa, but in some others like Uganda, they're basically only restricted to national parks.
0: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And are you finding that, you know, obviously certain countries are more supportive of giraffe conservation? others can't really support you? Oh, there's definitely the good, the bad and the ugly with regards to yeah. support. And, you know,
1: imagine working with one government and, you know, I'm not going to talk politics, but if you, if you try to work with any government, you know, it's, it's really challenging because there's lots of policies and legislations you have to go through. And we work in more than 15 African governments uh, at the moment. And so, you know, at times it feels like it's an uphill battle, but... When things do go well and they're going well, we believe in many countries, it's the only way to do conservation. If you can get the buy-in from the government, the support of the government, everything else will flow from there. And that's critical for long-term conservation and uh, especially for giraffe.
0: No, yeah, yeah, yeah. I can only imagine. I can imagine how difficult that is to, to do that. So what are your duties as director? Because I imagine that is a busy job you are I, I, I thank you for giving us time i mean i can only imagine how you get pulled in so many different directions
1: yeah i mean i i suppose uh you know the, the the title of director is is just that and what you do day to day um i mean almost hour to hour varies a lot i think uh a prime example is this morning let's say in the hour before we started chatting I had a a phone call with uh, Uganda, with our veterinarian, Dr. Sarah Ferguson, who works up there desnaring animals. And we were just talking programmatic things. And then at the same time, one of the light bulbs uh, went out in the office. So just went and changed that. (laughs) Uh, Had to look for the uh, air conditioning turner on or an offerer because it's freezing cold. And then in between, you have emails, and you know we're doing a taxonomic review of giraffe at the moment, so we've got a whole, you know, whole scientific sort of academic um, component of that. And then next week we're uh, going out uh, translocating giraffe. So from my job, it's 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 very broad. Um, We do have a number of staff. I think we were we were doing the numbers yesterday, and we're looking at diversity, and we really feel we're. You know we're amazing we have 16 different nationalities working as the gcf team across africa and mm-hmm. the world and that's quite remarkable and we only have 20 in the whole team so it's pretty cool that we're so diverse uh, from all backgrounds across the african continent europe um, america australia so we're four continents worth of people and as a director we basically, you know, we manage a lot of the operations. We've got a good team that we've, uh, we work with and everything from environmental education through to high-end scientific academic research to guide conservation
0: decisions on the ground. And then so GCF, oh gosh, so what is kind of the mission? What, what encompasses everything that you do?
1: So GCF is the only NGO in the world that focuses on giraffe conservation and management across the continent of Africa. So we are involved in everything from initially from counting giraffe. And a lot of people just thought we were a research organisation for many years. But we had to figure out how many giraffe were they? Where are they? What are the threats? And then from there, we started to implement specific programmatic works like developing national strategies. So, you know, before we started, there was no national strategies for giraffe in any country. And now I think we're six national strategies. And these are the the backbone of then implementing them to drive good conservation efforts in in these respective countries. Um, We have a host of students, master's PhD students from across Africa and the world, working in different countries. We've got staff in obviously Namibia where we are, but uh, also in Uganda, Zimbabwe, Kenya, Niger, um so then gps satellite tagging we have the largest gps satellite tagging program of giraffe and many animals you know probably in the world we you know have have put out more than 180 gps satellite units on giraffe and you know collecting data from across the continent they're all solar powered really cool things Um, And we work with Smithsonian um, Conservation Biology Institute as a partnership, and and this is an example. We we partner uh, with them to help us with the scientific uh, questions we need answered, which then feed back into uh, conservation decision-making. Or we'll work with African Parks Network, who are an amazing organisation working across the continent helping governments to manage land. And we provide all giraffe conservation science and management decisions for them. And yeah, then I suppose the sexy things that people like to see are the translocations. So picking up animals, setting up new populations, and we've been increasing our work and that's something that seems to be going well. And Southern Africa have been doing it for years, but the hard yards is doing it across East Central and West Africa. And that's where we've been putting a lot of effort lately.
0: Right, so is that more for diversifying the genetics of the population?
1: So translocations are for a number of reasons. Um, a, it could be augmenting uh, individuals, so putting more back into a population that's been reduced over time because of threats, and those threats have abated, they're gone. Uh, we you know, do an assessment before we move any giraffe around, um, so we want to give them a bit more genes, a bit more of a boost so that the population can regrow, and it's important not just for giraffe, but also it's linked to local community-based conservation or also government uh, tourism efforts that are going on. Um, And then we've moved giraffe back into areas that they went extinct anything up to 100 years earlier. Um, And now the conditions are right to bring giraffe back uh, to those areas. And it's an amazing feeling. And it's working with the community and with the governments to to bring them back and post monitor them and seeing how they're going. And touch wood, you know, it's been so far successful in essentially every population that we've moved. So it's uh, slowly but surely, hopefully we're doing the right thing
0: yeah amazing work I mean oh so you you mentioned the taxonomic review. is that having to do with how many species there are because that just seems like to be a big debate right now
1: it 's an interesting uh, discussion, and uh, obviously, I sit on one side of it um, and I think a couple of years ago you know we worked with the zoo community actually because they wanted to figure out in the in the late 90s and then early 2000s, about what type of giraffe they had, especially in the North American zoos. Um, But they had to get some samples from the wild, so that's when we started working together. Um, And they figured out, you know, there's different types of giraffe there, but some of them obviously not as pure as they thought. And we've continued this project, so it's been going, I don't know, day to day. It's been going for like 15 years, and we've collected genetic or tissue samples from giraffe of every major population across African continent. And I don't know any other species that has that detailed um, sort of data collection. Mm -hmm, So what we figured out is uh, that there's four species and this is something that we published in 2016. Um, It's based on genomic, uh, nuclear and mitochondrial based uh, research. And uh, we have a new paper um, just under review at the moment, uh, which we hope will um, sort of finalise any debate people have um, in it. And it clearly shows that there is, uh, you know, the status quo of four species. Um, The debate, I suppose, itself, uh, I don't know. How do I say this? I think it might be more of a personal issue that people don't like me and uh, would prefer to prefer to argue against keeping one species because I haven't seen anyone actually do any primary research um, Mm -hmm. or taxonomic assessment and I you know I find that a little bit challenging that scientists throw out a lot of ideas but uh, they actually don't do the work themselves Um, and I almost think that people don't shouldn't have a leg to stand on if they actually don't do the work and come back with a rebuttal rather than asking questions so I think that's where we stand at the moment. Um, I mm-hmm. think we're, we're pretty clear that it's uh, four species. Um, taxonomy itself, as I'm sure you know, is probably half art, half science. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, yeah. Uh, you know, genomic and work these days is pretty clear in, in what we're seeing and, and things may change in the future. But we need a, a mechanism to show that these animals are different and if they're different, then we should be managing them and that's really important for conservation and it's not how we started um but it, it obviously links in perfectly with what we want to do if we've got one species of giraffe they are listed it as vulnerable in 2016 that's a great effort it took us a long time to to get all that data together with the team um but what we figured out if there's four species one of those species is least concern The population Mm -hmm. in southern Africa is going up and has been going up significantly in the last 30 years. The other three, if you were to do an assessment today, would all be listed as endangered or critically endangered. And species conservation is done, uh, well, conservation itself, sorry, is done at predominantly a species level. So we're missing the boat here. So at the moment, you know, they're vulnerable and that's, you know, obviously not great. But, you know, a lot of the support then could go to southern Africa where populations in general are doing well. But we really Didn't need to fine, focus, yeah. you know, on critically endangered or endangered species. And, and this is where these arguments shouldn't even be arguments. We should be all on the same page that we're trying to conserve giraffe. Um, and, you know, whether the science of it, you don't, you question just because of questioning for the sake of science. Mm-hmm. I think that's as harmful as anything.
0: Yeah, I've 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 ran into it. Just people like to argue, just argue, right? <laughs> it's like, it
1: it keeps, people <laughs> keeps people busy. Keeps people busy, and I'm glad it does because you know what else would they get up to?
0: I know, it's science. You just, uh it's got to get used to it. But it's it's interesting. You talk about the three of the four. Can you talk about those three species? Where they are and an estimate on populations?
1: Yeah. So if we if we focus on. Um, you know, as I said, East, Central, and, and West Africa. So you've got the, the three species would be the Maasai giraffe, um, and that's predominantly in southern Kenya, throughout Tanzania, and the the former Thornycrofts or Luangwa giraffe in Zambia um, is actually also a Maasai giraffe. Whether it's a subspecies or not, that's still to be decided, um, but, you know, to me that's just semantics because... Um, what is a subspecies? That's another discussion. Yeah, um, yeah. So they, you know, have declined by a little bit more than 50% in just the last 30 years alone. So we're talking about an estimated, you know, thirty-six, thirty-seven thousand 37,000 Maasai giraffe in the wild, which is not a great amount. But uh, then we go to reticulated giraffe, and reticulated giraffe are predominantly in... Northern Kenya, but their range expands into uh, southern Ethiopia and into uh, also neighboring Somalia. So those populations have probably declined by oh, about a little bit more than 50, maybe up to 60%. And their numbers, and this is just the last 30 years, um, and their numbers are estimated about 15,500 in the wild. So that's getting a lot less. Um, and then the last one, uh, what we call northern giraffe, which consists of the West African giraffe, the Kordofan giraffe, and the Nubian giraffe. And the Nubian giraffe, uh, we have in it the Rothschild's giraffe because they're genetically 100% the same and they look the same as well. So, but the combined number of the northern giraffe is just 5,600 individuals. So that's about the same as black rhino. And in the last uh, 30 years, there's been a decline of more than 90% of these giraffe in the wild. And I mean, that's massive. Uh, and, it's a, and, and that's why we have to bring this attention, not talk about as much 111,000 of giraffe. We have to talk about 5,600. Look at the power of uh, whether it's black rhino or gorilla or other conservation of, uh, you know, iconic species. We need to get this out and we need to, you know, get everyone on board.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, I agree. Yeah, uh, and, and Conservation is just so complex, right? I mean, it's... Uh.
1: It is complex, and there's no doubt about it. And, you know, we have to come up with some arbitrary things. You know, species in themselves are quite arbitrary. Um, but, you know, we've got re- good reason now with good genomic uh, data to show that these giraffes are different. Um, and so we should manage them different and help the governments and those, you know, local communities or local NGOs that are working with them to help, you know, manage and conserve them before it's too late. I would hate uh, to knock back on someone's desk who argues with me and say in a few years' time, well, what if we had done that? Wouldn't have we saved them rather than arguing, is it this flavor or is it that flavor giraffe?
0: Mm-hmm. 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 And do you find the locals, how do they, what's their opinions of giraffes? Because, I mean, I understand elephants come in, raid crops, that angers them. Predators may, may poach some of their animals every now and then. What do giraffes do that would anger locals or anything?
1: Yeah, I know. Luckily, giraffe have a, a bit better uh, street cred than uh, predators yeah. and elephant yeah. and whatnot. So that's a, a good starting place to work with. But in countries like Niger or Niger in West Africa, um, giraffes do come in and they crop raid. They love their mangoes and their beans. So what we found out a few years ago, We had a a PhD student and friend, uh, Jean-Patrick Sorot, who unfortunately has passed away now. Um, But he found out using GPS satellite technology and, you know, field observation work that at night time, the giraffe were sneaking into the village areas and eating this food and then running out again. So (laughs) it was pretty sneaky, sods. So what we uh, obviously with that, we were able to advise, you know, village areas to let's better protect um, your plants of course uh, and your crops Um, can't be done everywhere because it's a big open landscape where they live in Niger but uh, Mm -hmm. so they they can be a bit cheeky like that Um, but they do trample obviously in communal areas they're walking through areas so you know the fields of maize or mahango the staple food they do sometimes trample food but in general they're not dangerous Um, so people have a much better opinion of them they like seeing giraffe they'd like that they're you know part of their local environment and history um but of course wildlife is wildlife and you know they have to see that they're not a uh, an impact there's got to be some form of benefit for them to stay and that could be aesthetic just alone or it could be linked to tourism mm-hmm. or other things mm-hmm. and so you know tourism is a or conservation in general is a luxury you know day to day You know, local people living in a community area, you know, food on the table, stay healthy. Mm -hmm. These are the most important things. And so, working with local communities for conservation of giraffe and any animals is critical. It can't be just go in and do a sexy sort of translocation and move on. Um, You have to be there for the long haul.
0: Yeah. I mean, uh, such a good point. How is ecotourism doing, like in, I guess, with giraffes overall, but Pre COVID and now during this pandemic, yeah, no tourism doesn't exist. It's yeah. it's, uh,
1: it's a it's a massive impact on uh, wildlife conservation um, at, at so many different levels. So governments who obviously rely on people are going to national parks, um, and there's just no revenue coming in. Or it could be an NGO who are supported like ourselves in different places by the tourism industry who. Uh, but that obviously doesn't exist at the moment. So we're all having to reinvent how we're working and who knows when we're going to come out of this and let alone when people are going to start to travel at the same sort of uh, numbers that they did before. So it, it really, you know, people don't understand how much tourism has impacted wildlife conservation efforts in Africa and I'm sure elsewhere in the world. And and we're going to see increasing in uh, probably in poaching and other impacts mm-hmm. because the monitoring is just not there. Um, we're, we're lucky we actually have teams on the ground still in many countries in Africa. Um, and that makes the big difference when you're African-based for an African species versus an NGO who sits somewhere else in the world and flies in and out. So these solutions have to be in Africa with Africans. Um, mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. tourism has been a godsend, but as we know, it can be quite fickle. So... Yeah, we have to be clever, but uh, hopefully we we're trying to change that and uh, yeah, you know, do the best yeah. we can at the moment.
0: Yeah, I know, I know. I mean, uh, the entire planet is going through this together, and it's I'm just hearing some horror stories out there. And and um, you know, bless you for what you're doing. You're you're, you're still fighting the good fight. What uh, I guess I, I had a question too. Like, what type of research projects? I, I know you talked about the the tagging, which is fascinating. So maybe you can expand on that a little bit, the satellite tags. But are there any other research projects that you're currently conducting?
1: So the GPS satellite tagging, we call it Twigger Tracker because Twigger is giraffe in Swahili. Um, and at the moment, we in eight countries, we have GPS satellite units, which are solar powered. They're connected to the ossicone, which is another word for the horn, of the giraffe. It's not a horn, it's an ossicone, because it's an ossification of the bone onto the skull of giraffe, not a an additional horn. So there's one for people to look up when they've got nothing better to do. Yeah. Um but uh and then what we we get uh it's set at the moment to receive a signal every uh one hour, which is a GPS location, uh weather, and it could be, you know, other sort of factors we're looking at like movements. Um, and they are collected every day, every hour, and sent via satellite. And you sit anywhere in the world, and you can watch these GPS satellite movements um, happening. Um, and what we do this for is to figure out a whole host of things. A, it could be trying to figure out for anti-poaching. So in northern Democratic Republic of Congo, in Gorumba National Park, we're uh, working with African Parks. There's a whole bunch of units on. To help them figure out where are the giraffe moving so that they can ensure that they're increasing their monitoring in those areas um, in northern uganda we've seen giraffe move across the south sudan and back which was never been reported before um, and then for translocations we put these units on them so we can monitor them and the herd uh, where they're moving because some of these are very large landscapes. So. We're finding some absolutely fascinating things, and during these COVID times, some of these giraffes moved much further and closer to villages or bigger cities mm-hmm. than we'd seen before. Um, we're still doing some analysis on that uh, with some partners at Zenkenberg. Uh, which is a museum in Frankfurt, uh, which has got some big labs there that we do our genetics work, but they also have some very clever scientists who do movements um, as long as with, with Smithsonian and san diego zoo global so we 're we're coming up with some really cool things so that 's an important project for us but other other projects we we constantly have ongoing students doing work, and any master's or phd student has to Not only look at the theoretical side but it has to relate directly to any conservation management efforts and decisions we want to do so let's say in niger we've got a a student from the czech republic working closely with a benin student as well as a nigerian student Um, and they're looking at uh, what's happening in the big population in niger of giraffe it's in a place called the giraffe zone uh, adequately uh, named but it's in a community area where they're moving what they're doing How's the population growing? We've translocated some, so they're watching them and they're overseeing community eco-guards that we work with to monitor them. And all of that information obviously is from an academic side, but then it's fed back to uh, day-to-day management. Um, I don't know. We've got projects, uh, northwest Namibia, with a Namibian student who is looking at... Uh, Movements of giraffe and what they eat and uh, human community sort of interaction because we're trying to look at whether it's favourable to move giraffe back into southwestern Angola, which is a very similar type of environment. So we're doing assessments at the moment through you know the use of science and academia to see if this is the best way forward, and then we can come up with the practical solutions. Um, And essentially, those types of things we're doing in 15 countries at the moment across Africa.
0: Wow. That's amazing. That's amazing. Oh, I could just, I, I can hear some of my listeners like jumping up and down. I want to do that. I want to do that. So,
1: well. it's, I'm, I'm not going to complain. I reckon we have an amazing job. And, uh, you know, the problem with these, uh, COVID times is that you keep coming up with new ideas and everyone keeps telling me to pull my head in and just, you know, <laughs> let's not start Wait something new. Let's exactly. It's like, Oh, what about this? What about that? <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, I mean, and, and it's interesting. You said that giraffes are ranging closer to six, Cities. I mean, obviously, in the media, we're seeing that, like, especially early on in the lockdown, state in the United States, some of the images coming coyotes wandering through major cities, just wildlife kind of coming back to reclaim, but obviously, it's gonna be short lived sadly.
1: Yeah, no, but I mean, it's great to see. And I mean, it gives you hope. I mean, this is just a little bit of a a change in uh, the day-to-day operations of the world. And and we're seeing, Mm -hmm. you know, the resilience of wildlife, you know, and you see that for vegetation as well. And all of this is interlinked. And, you know, amazing if we could just be a little bit more nicer to our environment, um, you know, we wouldn't have uh, the problems we have.
0: No, nope, no, nope, absolutely agree, absolutely agree, so translocation i'm just curious the logistics of that, so do you I guess select the animals, then dart them? My question is how do you move a giraffe, especially with that long neck? Yeah, with a lot of help,
1: so I think uh, there's different ways we do translocation, so one of the ways in in many countries that we've done it is by individual capture, so you know we've we've done work in say, a population, let's call it Murchison Falls National Park in Uganda. And we know where the numbers, how many they are, what different age classes. And then we're looking at younger animals, one to two years old, because they're relatively easy to transport. They've um, started to uh, obviously feed everything by themselves now. um, And they're very healthy to set up a new population. So we go around We have a group of people, a veterinarian with some very potent drugs, some opioids that um, are about torphine, which is also called M99. Um, You know, it's about 10,000 times more powerful than morphine. So, you know, it's very scary drugs and there's other drugs we use as well, can be mixed with it. But, yeah, darted giraffe, within two to five minutes, it starts getting wobbly. You have a capture team. Jump physically out of the back of a car. You rope it safely to the ground. So it's like, you know, John Wayne style um, Mm -hmm. around the legs. Bring it to the ground. It can come down pretty hard, but they're solid beasts. You jump on the neck to hold it down because it's a lot like a horse. It needs that momentum or a camel to get up. Um, And you hold it down, put a blindfold on it, put uh, earplugs in, and give it a reversal drug immediately and so for the rest of the time it's down people are physically holding this giraffe down on the ground um and then we put new put ropes on it uh and guide it into what we call a chariot or a recovery trailer and then often we take that to a either a, a big vehicle where they're going to move or into a boma which is a um sort of a fenced area so that they can calm down for a few days and then we move them all by truck and some of those movements can be you know 50, 100 kilometres, and some of it can be 800 kilometres and take 48 hours. Um, so it's, it's a lot of work, and that's, that's one way. And the other way is what's called mass capture, is that you build a big funnel um, of sheets uh, in the middle of the bush where you know approximately where giraffe are, and it connects to a truck at far away, and uh, you use a helicopter normally, and, li- and you chase these giraffe into this bo- um, big funnel area and you close, once they run in there, you close behind the curtains and they just keep going close, further and further down the funnel until they get into the truck. Um, wow. <laughs> so, yeah, it, it's a bit of madness. And actually, on mon- next week, um, we're heading out here in Namibia to, um, to do uh, a host of translocations back into community conservancy areas. Uh, working with the government uh, in the country. And, you know, this is one big way that, you know, we work is to try and increase the range of giraffe where the areas are now safe um, and working with the governments as well as working with community areas. And that's going to increase in future their tourism potential. Um, and it's awesome. It really is an amazing experience. And uh, when all goes well.
0: That's, uh, that's, that's crazy. I got to ask these trucks, did The giraffes just stand straight up or do they have to bend their necks down? (laughs) They're really tall trucks. Um, Yeah. So
1: we've got a mix of them actually. So we've got... We've got some open trucks where their heads stick out. And so, like in Niger, there's some cool videos on our uh, Vimeo channel or on our website mm-hmm. uh, in countries like Niger or in Uganda where giraffe are going through villages and their heads are out and they're looking out and around. and <laughs> Funnily enough, they're really quite calm uh, doing that. Then there's other trucks where... You know, they go in and they're very tall ceilings. Sometimes they have to bend a little bit, and you use mm-hmm. them only for uh, sort of shorter trips. Um, and then some people have really fancy trucks that you can uh, actually, uh, you know, sort of manually or electronically crank the roof up and down, mm-hmm. uh, depending on the height of the giraffe, because they normally stand. Um, maybe the young ones on a, a long trip, they sometimes sit down. But uh, for the rest of the time, they stand, uh, which is, you know, they're really hardy and resilient animals.
0: That's amazing. That's amazing. Yeah, uh, right. Can you, <laughs> just, I can imagine just going down the highway and go, what the heck? <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, no, totally.
1: Giraffes. The view as you go through these villagers who have never seen a giraffe before in their life. And, you know, we've oh, interviewed wow. a whole bunch of these people after they've gone through and they're like, what was that? And they're like, I don't know. <laughs> it, it looks like a like 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 something I've seen, but
0: I don't know what it is, and uh, it's super cool. Oh, it's amazing! I know it's. Oh, uh, I would just. Uh, I'd love to see that. And I and I think I remember Mike actually, who's laughs for giraffes last year in LA, where he showed some of those photos. I think he was with you doing some captures. But uh, yeah, no, Mike yeah, was, was out with
1: us capturing some giraffe in northwest Namibia and uh, got his heart racing a little, which was always fun. <laughs> So yeah. it, it, it is crazy times and, you know, we've done it enough now. We, we know what we're doing and it's good to have uh, guys like Mike who, you know, share giraffe conservation news with huge audiences back at their mm-hmm. zoo in LA. And uh, so mm-hmm. for him to experience it and be able to share that with others, uh, that's what we love.
0: Yeah, we love telling the stories, too, about how these zookeepers, you know, go around the world doing stuff like that. You know, Mike's done that and and a few others. It's just it's amazing uh, the work they're doing. So what would you say are some of your most successful conservation projects and and kind of what those looked like?
1: So I think, uh, you know, if we look at the last five years, we've through giraffe translocations, we've been able to increased giraffe range again in Africa by more than 5 million acres so this is by physically translocating giraffe back into areas providing conservation management support working with governments and monitoring post moving them and I this is the big thing you know as I said earlier one of the biggest threats is loss of habitat so if we can reclaim some of these areas which were lost due to civil unrest or some issues at the time um, then you know we 're kicking goals so we 're seeing numbers go up in some places, but being able to increase range by five million acres i mean that 's pretty impressive
0: yeah that 's huge that 's huge
1: so so that 's definitely you know the biggest part, um, but a lot of that is built on you know the foundation of our scientific research in the beginning to figure out what 's going on where it 's going on it 's not that sexy um, but I think uh, you know understanding that there 's four species of giraffe now we can provide targeted conservation management support in those types of giraffe in those areas across east central and west africa so we can make a bigger difference
0: right and have, have you seen like getting the locals involved have you are you guys involved doing that or other ngos as far as why giraffes are important and why they may want to help protect them yeah we have a, a
1: whole host of different programs you know community based conservation efforts, so in northern Kenya, we work with the San Diego Zoo Global on a program called Twigger Walindsey um, and Twigger Wallinsey, of course, Twigger, as I said earlier means giraffe Willlinsey means guards and so working in community conservation areas, we employ giraffe guards across large areas and and their role is a combination of you know following giraffe figuring out who's who but a, more importantly is talking with communities amongst communities and their leaders um, is about the importance of giraffe conservation and the value that they bring so the will Wollindy program is expanding actually across Africa um, in many of the places we work in and You know, I think a a good example of, you know, and it's essential community conservation effort is in Niger. We moved these eight giraffe a couple of years ago into an area they hadn't been for 50 years, a place called Gadabaji Biosphere Reserve, and we employed a couple of Tuareg community game guards. And, you know, the Tuareg people are known moving far distances, seasonally seeking out areas for their livestock, Um, but some of them had settled in this area, and after day one, one of the giraffe went on a walk and it went on a far mm. walk. Um, we got a call two days later um, where one giraffe had travelled 150 kilometres um, and it was like, oh, my goodness, and it was going like further into the desert area. Uh-huh. Uh, and so the value beforehand, we'd done a lot of community sensitization um, and sort of engagement work and the Tuareg guy who not who we employed but one of his friends had seen these this giraffe far away and had traveled 30 kilometers on a motorbike to get cell phone reception because everyone in africa has a cell phone um to phone him to phone us to say i've just seen a giraffe and he knew it was a giraffe because he saw one 50 years earlier oh wow So this cannot be underestimated. You can't just, you know, in a national park or similar, you can just, you know, do the old lockdown conservation effort. And some countries, that's really important because that's all that's remaining. But um, it's really critical to do human dimension efforts outside of national parks where giraffe and other wildlife roam, or if giraffe just live in community areas, northwest Namibia, I mean, we started working up there in you know, the mid-late 90s and we continue, it's the longest um, ongoing monitoring of giraffe population ever. And we have a constant feedback to the community. We know, you know, loads of people when we go. I mean, I get WhatsApp messages. They saw this giraffe on that day and whatnot. And and this is, it's creating a network. And that's what's really important. And, and a, you know, it's a passion. If people happy to see giraffe still there, then uh, I think we're doing our jo- job.
0: Absolutely. No, that's amazing. That's an amazing story too. Oh my God, I'm just smiling. It's super cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right, just a few more questions because I know you're busy and you got a busy week coming up. Uh, so I guess you did talk about human overpopulation. Are there other threats that you see that are just like the biggest problem or or I guess the greatest threats to biodiversity across the planet and then there in Africa? What are some of the other threats that you're seeing?
1: Well, obviously the the real big one, which is the unspoken one is climate change and I think, you know, we're unsure what climate change is and how it will affect, but we know something is happening. There's no doubt about that. We see the weather changing, you know, on a small scale, we see, you know, a lot more drought periods. And obviously for giraffe, um, it's not as severe because they're browsers versus grazers, but long-term, you know, you browse those trees out and they will literally die and not come back. So climate change is a big concern there's no doubt about it and what we're doing um, you know I I don't know how we can monitor it any better apart from provide information we've worked with other uh, academics and NGOs to provide this information to help us model what's going on with giraffe in the future if there's changes Um, but you know sort of to counter that um, you know, obviously, make sure that those populations that are currently there, or n- any new populations that we're establishing with partners, um, are obviously not are going to be more resilient, and they're not going to be in areas that are going to suffer massively from climate change um, and in- impact giraffe. So, I think that's that. In all honesty, is the big one, but all of this is, you know, sort of precated on policy and legislation. You know, we're down to people making decisions around the world um, without understanding what's happening. And, you know, a big one, obviously, discussion over the last year was CITES, the uh, Convention for the International Trade of Endangered Species. And giraffe was added to CITES last year, Appendix 2, um, which essentially now facilitates the increased monitoring of the international trade of giraffe. So it's really important however it's more of a guideline the old sites it's not a you know there's no legislation in place mm-hmm, because it's mm-hmm. a, an agreement sort of like a hand holding session and you know for them to be put on sites i'm i'm personally from a science side i question the science but i can see the value in their monitoring and i think that should always be happening for the international trade but a lot of it's political agendas and you know, those political agendas may be driven in Washington or they may be driven in Brussels, but they're not actually helping on the ground to help with conservation action. Um, I I think it's all the power, but, uh, you know, none of the, you know, sort of support is coming with it. And I I think that's what happens in poor African sort of countries and and their wildlife seems to suffer as a result of it. So what we're trying to do with, with something like that is we're looking at, illegal trade and we're doing a study at the moment which we hope to be out very soon and we've seen that you know the illegal trade is is there there's no doubt and but it's not linked to what people think it is it's not trophy hunting that's causing the decline of giraffe mm. and that's a moral ethical issue and i've never mm. been a hunter and i'm not a hunter but i do like eating meat um, yeah. but the, the the trophy hunting is not driving the decline it's community-based and you know illegal hunting um and CITES, unfortunately, doesn't capture that because that's yeah. international trade. This is all local, domestic and a little bit yep. of transboundary. boundary, but CITES is not involved in any of that. And, and that's the hard thing for people to understand. It looks sexy, you know, to get these yeah. animals listed yeah. and whatnot, but it actually doesn't help unless there is something that follows with it. So there right. is, because you get a giraffe listed on CITES now, everyone thinks, oh, it's done, you know, tick the box. But there's no no money that comes from it. There's no additional resources. And so that's what we're struggling with now is that people think that the job is done. But unfortunately, day-to-day, things keep going on.
0: No, it's just beginning. I mean, it's just beginning. It's, you know, especially with the organization bringing awareness to the silent extinction. I mean, that's been making the news the last few years, thank goodness. But we need to keep keep pushing and, and don't let it fall off the page, right? Like, you know, or fall out of people's memory and, uh,
1: slowly we'll, uh, you know, I think we'll, we'll hopefully be pulling in the right direction, but it's, it's, yeah. it's not just as easy as signing a petition or, no. uh, you know, <laughs> no. getting something listed. Uh, there's a lot more work to be done. And, and luckily yeah. there's uh, a lot of people around the world who, who are passionate. So that's great.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Just a couple more questions. I guess with that being said, how can our listeners help you and the giraffe conservation foundation?
1: You know, I mean, people don't like to hear it, but, you know, money talks, there's no money. doubt about <laughs> it. Yeah. Um, you know, we have great teams that we want to keep out in the field. We're lucky during these COVID times that we've built enough reserve that, you know, we haven't laid off any staff. We have no plan to lay off any staff. Um, and I think that's important. You know, we need to have good teams that will work together. So being able to pay the salaries is the first step um, of, uh, you know, maintaining a good team and doing good work. So, You know, we we have things like World Giraffe Day, which is coming up the 21st of June. So do you know why 21st of June?
0: Uh, No, tell me, let me know, tell me why.
1: So summer solstice, so it's the longest day for the tallest animal.
0: Ah, I got it, that's awesome.
1: That's what happens when you have a few wines and sit on a couch yeah. at night.
0: <laughs> you and Mike, right? <laughs> come up with this stuff.
1: So it's, it's crazy. So, yeah. so that's coming up. And uh, every year, and I think this is the sixth year um, we've been doing it, it's, um, it's creating massive awareness for giraffe and giraffe conservation. And that's the first step. People can learn more. They can go online. They can read more. Um, but by contributing uh, and raising funding, through world giraffe day this year we're going to do a translocation in northern uganda back to an area called pianupi um, we moved some giraffe last year there for the first time in 35 years we're going to move some more giraffe later this year and this is securing a population that used to be the largest giraffe population of nubian in the country in uganda and was locally extinct 30 years ago so you know, that type of support and, you know, people can adopt a giraffe online um, and, you know, follow what's happening to their giraffe and learn about other giraffe. And, and this helps us, you know, get some core funding in to be able to do the work that we do. Um, but, yeah, educate yourself, um, do a little fundraiser or donate online um, and get in touch with uh, GCF. Also, there's a lot of social media out there um that they can look at for giraffe conservation foundation you can you know there's lots of videos there's lots of what i could call book face but it's facebook um yeah and twitter and instagram so yeah okay. really really learn more that's that's the key
0: awesome we will definitely put all those links up there uh, julian i uh it's amazing i i know i'm gonna meet you one day whenever you get out to la or i'm gonna get out to namibia you know and and see what you're doing but thank you so much for what you're doing for giraffes and and then spending the the past hour with us
1: no thanks a million chris it's we really appreciate uh you know you guys being able to get the message out there and uh you know we look forward to having what we would say a uh you know a, a tall one for, for giraffe and uh <laughs> yes. you know we all need to stick our heads out for giraffe so let's start with yep. world giraffe day
0: Oh, we will. We will. Thank you so much. Cool. Thanks very much, Chris. Cheers, mate. Bye. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlaz, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts.